Look, it's a flood. It's a flood. It's flooding. Get away. Quick, we need to get to higher ground. Open the floodgates. All right. So I just want to start this episode off by saying that it is becoming clear to me with people still trying to prove that Thanos is right that um, my island for this week is that people who think that Thanos is right, people who still think that Thanos is right, are also anti-maskers and don't wear masks. Hear me out. <laughs> okay, I definitely know some Thanos is right people who definitely wear masks. So. Are you? Do they wear masks around you to be respectful, or? No, I think they're. I think they think they're on the other side of the fifty percent. I don't. I don't think so. I think. I feel like people who think Thanos is right are anti-maskers because they believe that humanity needs to be cold. Like you know, they're the well, same. To say that it. Never mind. Who's to say that it doesn't? I, I didn't finish that sentence, but maybe. <sighs> Do you think Thanos was right? No. 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 See? See? This is what I'm talking about. See, you can only agree with a villain, but... And, and there are people out there who are like, but what about the way you feel about Killmonger? I'm like, Killmonger actually had, like, a point. Like, Thanos is going around the entire universe, which, sure, of course, because he has the ability to transverse, doesn't mean he necessarily has the ability to understand. That's kind of like the white man showing up on the shores of the American coastline and be looking at what the Native Americans were doing, like, oh, this land needs to be conquered. <laughs> Look at how these savages just exist with their tits out. World history. (laughs) And then the white guy showed up. Thanos. Thanos is an allegory for the white guy showing up on the shores of America. Because he didn't show up in fucking Russia. Literally didn't show up in New York. (laughs) Uh, All I'm saying is, look, you're not helping. Actually, isn't the first time Thanos stepped on... Earth was in Wakanda? Was it in Wakanda? I think the first time he actually stepped on Earth was at the Battle of Wakanda. Okay, so you're also still not helping your point, right? (laughs) So the first thing Thanos did when he showed up was fuck around in Africa. (laughs) And then he came over to America and committed genocide. So, people who agree with Thanos are less likely to wear a mask. I'd say by about 60%. Uh, I'm not saying... This is a wild one. This is a wild one. Look, I'm not saying that all villains are wrong because Killmonger was clearly right. You know, even T'Challa was able to recognize that. That's why he didn't want to just, you know, completely kill Killmonger. (laughs) But Thanos had to die, right? Thanos had to die so much so that in Endgame, the first thing, the first thing Thor did was was cut his head off. off. Oh, man. Now, you really have a problem when people are like, yeah, the Joker's right. 
Ah, see, that's what I'm talking about. It's, agreeing with villains is sketchy territory. Oh, you know, they're villains for a reason. People now, granted, I wrote that Batman Joker paper, right? Yes. And one of the points that I actually made about Joker yep. is there's a sense and an argument that he basically superseded humanity. The Joker? Yeah. Superseded in what context? Let me pull it up. See, this is what I'm talking about, Joe. Like, people who are still walking around talking about the Joker movie as, like, you know, the greatest movie for advocating for, like, mental health rights and stuff. I'm, I kind of feel like those people didn't necessarily get the movie. <laughs> like, the Joker is not a role model. He's a terrible individual. I don't understand with all the, like, fan service is, or, you know, the fanfare. For the Joker, isn't it? Yeah, I actually, while I was just scrolling through this paper that I wrote, by the way, it's 52 pages long. Shit. Um, Shit. Without pictures? Maybe that's the case. I mean, the pictures, but you, damn, yo. I mean, this coming from the person who is making his thesis paper about boneless chicken wings. It's also at the end of last week's episode. Again. Ew, I don't, I don't see it. Like, it takes 31, it takes a pair of 31 chicken wings to get a buffalo at full speed airborne. It is proven that buffalo chicken wings cannot make a buffalo fly. How many wings did you say it would take? It would need two wings made of 31 chicken wings. So two wings of 31 chicken wings apiece would help this buffalo rise up! Wow. And crash through. This is Doc and Ziggy with the flood. That was beautiful. What a curveball. Was cracking, ladies and gentlemen. It is... February. Ooh, oh no, damn, we're not in February anymore. Holy shit. You see where my head is at? It's, 2020 has still got jet lag on us. Yeah, it is Sunday, March 7th. It is currently 1234. One, two, three, four, and we are getting started. You know how we do here. We talk about last week tonight. <laughs> last, last week tonight. Shout out John Oliver. Sans John Oliver. And you will, you will hear it a week later. From now. But these are your boys here with that deep dive to take the important pieces out and examine them underneath the microscope. What do we got to talk about today, Zig? Well, we got some new stimulus check news updates. Ooh, bring in that bag. Biden with Cat the bag. everything around me. Good, it's the money. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Yeah. Um, so we also have some more... Cardboard, super expensive cardboard news. Ooh, uh, shiny! Jay Z teams up with our favorite barkeep. Teams up or cashes in. Mm-hmm. Texas goes full Texas. Ooh, Congress Texas actually does something good about police brutality. Huh? <laughs> oh yeah, Space Jam Two. Space Jam Two. All right. Well, let's get in. Where you want to start at today, my man? Right, let's do a check-in. How you feeling? How you week? I've been all right. Uh, I mean, I've been doing a lot of reading for school. 
I got Bravely Default 2, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so Bravely Default, I think I told you about it before, but it was that game when I was playing it that basically I had this, like, third eye moment awakening when it comes to all games, period. An epiphany. Yeah. Basically how all games come down to a measurement of time. Oh, okay. You remember yeah. this one? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so all games come down to a measurement of time. The second one of those, well, it's the third game, but it's like the first. So there was Bravely Default and then Bravely Second, which was a prequel to Bravely Second, or Bravely Default. Okay. Now it's Bravely Default 2, which is an entirely new story. <laughs> so the prequel is called Bravely Second. No, 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 no. So Bravely Default is the first one. Okay. The sequel is called Bravely Second. Okay. Okay. You said prequel, so I was. Anyway, so but what you reading in uh for your class? Well, I had to watch Straight Outta Compton for class. <laughs> oh, that is peak new generation, you know, like instead of watching Gone with the Wind, <laughs> which we'll get into discussing a little bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah, now we're doing study analysis of Straight Outta Compton! <laughs> oh, God. Next we'll be doing think pieces on Rush Hour 2. I think there was one, there was once university I saw a couple of years ago that was doing an entire class on Kanye West. I want to say I saw a New York college that had a whole entire class on like the discography of Lil' Kent. <laughs> what? And I mean, look, I'm sure there's something there to be said about like, you know, feminist iconography or just Lil' Kim? I mean, she was one of the first, you know, platinum-selling female rappers of the 90s. Um, I mean, when it, when it comes to that, I always think of, like, Lauryn Hill. Miss Lauryn Hill. Yes, of course. Should be used as the prime example. But, I mean, there's also nothing wrong with uh, Lil' Kim expressing her sexual freedom and owning her agency as a woman in the extremely male-dominated hip-hop industry. I was actually thinking though, so when it's been years since I heard No Vaseline, and that scene when they're all listening to No Vaseline for the first time. You know, I almost forgot what we were talking about, and when you brought up No Vaseline, I was like, that is such a random song for you to bring up. Yeah, but I mean, holy shit. Okay, like, let's talk about. This is Let's talk about that, right? Because, I mean, I used to rap a little bit, and I've been in a fair amount of beefs before, and hearing diss tracks about yourself is always... It's always a wild ride, especially if the person that is rapping about you is... Um, Talented. Um, if they're not talented, though, it's a, always a joy. <laughs> but just hearing... Especially someone from inside of your camp revealing all of the scathing criticisms about you, like as you're sitting there with loved ones and family members. I was thinking though, like imagine like how it's like the whole fucking Drake and Meek summer, right? Like, and Drake made that fucking back to back joint, and that shit became like a club banger with like, and then you know he had his 
his publicist team putting out all these memes and shit like that. So it was like everywhere this nigga, this nigga me couldn't even get on the internet for like two fucking months, son. He's like, lock me up, I can't deal with this. Can't turn the fucking radio on because every time you turn the fucking radio all year is back to back. He's like, fuck it, time to go break probation. God damn. God damn, that was a dark joke. Jesus. Yeah. Anyway, no, so. I caught this. I was, yeah. The, um. I was watching it, though, and I was like, damn. These motherfuckers, all the way authentic. All the way. And then I was listening to Q, like, rap, and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, wow! We forgot how authentic and OG Q and Dre are sometimes. I mean, there was definitely parts of that movie that were, like, Disney-fied for sure, right? Like, Straight Outta Compton is a funny one to me because it's, like, the... I know the story. Yeah, it, but it's, like, the fucking Friday Night Lights, like, version of a rap, like, biopic. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like, Straight out, And they tried to do their best to make it, like, seem as authentic and to the truth as it was but I definitely like I mean there were people who complained that their whole misogyny was really kind of like toned down and I you know I know we probably have like super aggro fans that are like really you're gonna talk about misogyny and all that I'm like I mean let's be honest like Dre was a woman beater yo and he gotta own it's a weird place for me to laugh at right but but he gotta own up to that shit he knows what the fuck he did and it's the same thing with I mean they it's funny to me because then as we were discussing earlier you said you wrote down like fuck Suge Knight like like five times Times, yeah, because of how shitty they made Suge Knight look, right? Like, they went out of their way to make Suge Knight look like a fucking rat underlord, Joe. They made him look like fucking Master Shredder. <laughs> Fat Master Shredder. Of the fucking Foot Clan, right? It was terrible. It's Alright, terrible may be an exaggeration because I'm not gonna sit here and cape for fucking Suge Knight. Like, he's some kind of unsung hero but <laughs> but let's not pretend when the money was good and the bill everything was rolling in and Shug's like you know bulldog bully approach was working for them niggas they wasn't standing right behind him popping bottles and making shit seem like it was I mean come on we've all seen the footage of Tupac standing like you talk about how he did easy look at how the fuck he did Tupac son Died in the whip next to the man. Not died in the whip, but come on. Come on. They don't hit the passenger side, so I'm saying. Look. Look, man. Let's not, let's not pretend like... So what the movie really got me thinking about. Too. I mean, look. They wasn't afraid to make Ice Cube look all badass. Rolling up in that motherfucking studio busting shit with that fucking bat. Yeah, so this got me thinking. How do you think Dre... Snoop, Q, LL, members of the Wu-Tang, Nas J. How do you think they feel and kind of manage, rationalize their place being historical figures at this point? I think it's kind of obvious to see how 
some of them handle it, you know? There are... Like, there's a difference between fame and being someone who's historically noteworthy. Yeah, there's a difference between note and notoriety. Like, notoriousness and, you know, infamy. Fame and infamy. That kind of shit. But see, that's the whole, like, okay, this week, again... Twitter tried to cancel Eminem, right? Over his Love the Way You Lie lyrics. Good luck! And I'm like, every time they do this, we bring up Eminem's entire fucking catalog, right? Because that's what his career... His career is based on being around an edgelord, right? But he's a poetic edgelord. Like, he really is, like, the brooding, (laughs) angsty, like, white artist. I don't know who who he would be an allegory for in the actual art world. The way M pushed cultural boundaries in hip-hop as well as in the normal, like, pop sphere has always been in that kind of, like, alt-boy style. It gets into what we were discussing in the Damn It about Poe's Law, right, where the Zoomers are kind of approaching him from this angle of they don't understand his intent, so they're judging him from a... Zoomer trigger warning, everybody. Yeah, I... Look... Our whole podcast is a fucking trigger warning. <laughs> Shout out Killer Mike. Yeah. yeah. Overcorrect. Yeah. You were saying overcorrect. Which we'll get into a little bit in our final discussion when we go into this Hollywood Reporter article that I sent you. But yeah, they do it all the time with Eminem because of, like I said, Poe's Law. They don't understand his intent. So and what exactly is Poe's Law? So Poe's Law is... An internet, uh, what would you call it? Um, an internet law, kind of like Godwin's law? Yeah, kind of, uh, yeah, along the line of Godwin's law. Poe's law is an adage of internet culture stating that without a clear indicator of the author's intent, it is impossible to create a parody of extreme views so obviously exaggerated that it cannot be mistaken by some readers for sincere expression of views being portrayed. So, Basically, if you do not know a person's true intent, then you cannot assume their intent from a parody presented. Meaning if somebody makes a joke to you that seems a bit edgy about like, you know, dead babies or something like, or a rape joke, right? Like if somebody makes a joke to you about like, raping somebody and you don't know that person so you don't know their intent you can't tell if they're really like joking or not yeah and when Eminem says shit like if she ever tries to leave again I'm attired to the bed and set this fucking house on fire the zoomers are like whoa buddy you've got a history of this sounds like, like a guilty uh, guilty until proven innocent thing yes essentially which is dangerous waters to get into. But I find it funny that Eminem, as well as Dave Chappelle, right, find themselves in these waters all the time, and they are able to kind of circumnavigate the outrage machine in a way that leaves them unscathed most of the time. In fact, it often increases their notoriety a lot of the time. 
There are people, as we're talking about, like, cultural icons, like, fading in and out of relevancy as the public changes their perception on what is culturally acceptable and what isn't culturally acceptable. There are artists who, until they kind of, like, relaxed, were, like, big things, like... They were icons in their own right, like Nelly, right? Like Nelly faded into fucking obscurity, and now people just kind of—I'm not. I'm, I think you know most people look at Nelly as kind of like corny. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he went bankrupt recently. Yeah, and was asking people to stream his music so he could, you know, get that uh, that residual income. But it's not like Nelly got bad. Look, Nelly got slapped, right? It's just nobody be checking for Nelly anymore. So is Nelly a cultural icon? Like, are you a cultural icon if you still have certified slaps, right, but people don't check on you? People, do people still ask for Nirvana? You know what I mean? Of course, there's yes. not going to be no yes. new Nirvana records, but do the Zoomers, but do they like Nirvana? You know what I mean? <laughs> what do you think Billie Eilish gets her fucking aesthetic from? Yeah, but they don't care about that. They care about Billie. Like you said before, Zoomers like going back into that old shit. Sometimes, but they don't like the old shit. They just like pulling pieces of the old shit into the new, like, sphere of things. Well, I mean, there's only so much, like, that... It's kind of like how much con... Like, there's only so much content you can absorb at once. It's like, I think about this all the time, right? When we were growing up, you heard... Older music played a lot, right? Yeah. Like, they were playing a decent amount of 90s stuff, but on the radios, you could still hear shit from, like, the 60s and the 70s and the 80s being played all the time. Now I'm like, you don't hear that so much. Like, we don't, we, as far, the farthest, the furthest back I feel like I hear the radio going is, like, 2000. And then it, like, stops. I don't hear, rock, like... Rock stations go farther back. Do they? Yeah. Okay. Well, good. it also depends on the rock station. So, like, the two main rock stations are DC 101, which is much more current, quote-unquote right. current, and 98 Rock. 98 Rock is the one where you're, you'll hear, like, 80s rock and shit like that. Yeah. DC 101, they definitely have their staples in, like, 90s and 2000s rock that you'll still hear all of those songs. Yeah. But they'll also mix it in with new things. I feel like 92Q and 93.9 are, they're all stuck playing, like, the TikTok top 20, like, rotations, and, and it sucks. There is a station, there's, like, a whole station, but it's, like, a dedicated, like, classic station, and they play everything from, like, the 70s up until like 1998 right and they'll play like hip-hop from the 90s but they don't play like anything <laughs> as maybe like maybe like 2008 is like the cutoff you know right around that usher yeah little john era the tall t era shit yeah is right when they cut off yeah yeah it's crazy son and i feel like it's because a lot of that 90s rap is culturally problematic <laughs> yo uh there's a lot of shit that they talk about in there that wouldn't fly you know what yep. i mean nope. it's like the whole lola bunny redesign right like fucking millennials and gen xers are upset that lola bunny got kind of desexualized and i'm like 
two things. The design that she's being compared to is a fan art It's not the design from the movie. If you look at the design from the movie, she's not that curvaceous in the fucking movie. She's not as hypersexualized as we we remember her being. We were just horny little boys at the time. We were like anthropomorphic rabbit. <laughs> she had the whole tomboy aesthetic, you know, like. But and that has everything also with this agreement reached between the Republicans. It's not. Why are we making a big deal about this? <laughs> I'm gonna watch Space Jam too, fucking regardless. Anyway, that shit looks great. Have you seen like the screenshots and shit like that? Oh yeah, it looks great. No, I've been, I've been keeping an eye on this shit because I'm, me for the nostalgia. I, you know, I'm hoping they don't fuck this shit up. I think that's why it's taken so long. No, yeah, I think that's why it's taken so long, right? Because LeBron was like, "You're not gonna make me look like an ass, so I have to sit down with Mike at like dinners and shit. and him be like, you know, you fucked my booty up." Right? He's like, he's like. Yeah, this goat argument, it's over. Yeah. You fucked up Space Jam. You fucked up Space Jam. <laughs> you fucked yeah. up Space Jam. If you fucked up Space Jam, it's over. You cannot. No, the goat discussion. The is goat done. discussion is over. The goat discussion hinges. If this Space Jam is better than the original Space Jam, does that make LeBron the goat? Oh, absolutely, because Mike is another one that's fading into fucking obscurity. Mike is not the fucking cultural icon that he used Mike to be. Mike is only... Though. I feel like Mike at this point is only relevant because of LeBron. No, Mike is relevant because of brand recognition. Jordan has solidified brand recognition. The same way we call Ziploc containers, Ziploc... Every plastic bag is a Ziploc container. Every bandage is a band-aid. Exactly. That's what Jordan is now. Like, Jordan is... That's solidified. Moving forward, Jordan is synonymous with sports. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, but I mean, the I think the only reason people are talking about Jordan as players is because LeBron is threatening his spot as the GOAT. No. No. He can never, LeBron can never take away the branding of Jordan. That's what I'm trying to say, right? Like, Jordan. I'm talking about as a player, though. But as a, yes, as a basketball cultural icon. Like, people don't remember, people don't know who the creator of Nike is. That's where Jordan's going, right? The only reason people remember Michael Jordan is because Jordan is his fucking last name, right? But it's it's going to be to the point where people have to look up who the creator of Jordans are and see that he was actually a basketball player. I think you're underestimating how famous Michael Jordan was. No, I'm not. I think you're overestimating how much, how long cultural, like, relevancy lasts. But I'm saying the reason he's still talked about as a player is because of LeBron. But do you know how many people quote William Shakespeare and don't know who Shakespeare is? Don't know that that line comes from a play. That William Shakespeare wrote. Like Pride Cometh Before the Fall? Exactly. I'm saying that's where Jordan is going. I mean, I'm saying that LeBron now is in a position to become more of a culturally relevant icon, not just because he's good at sports, but also because LeBron is all around shaping up to actually be a better person. <laughs> By far. By far. What I'm saying is... Like, it's is not even close. That 
nowadays the zoomers are looking for people who actually live up to the iconography the iconography set for them they want LeBron opened a fucking public school that's what they want authenticity yeah and michael jordan has stocks in private prisons you get what i'm saying here Absolutely. Like LeBron is just—he's—he's he's a way better person, and I, I don't think there's a question in that. There shouldn't be. I mean, Michael Jordan's kind of a shithead. That's my point. And the Zoomers are—they're about authenticity. That's why they like YouTubers because it presents a sense of authenticity. The—we're pretty authentic here over at the Flood. Hit that follow button, y'all. The pomp and circumstance of Hollywood, you know, the glitz and glamour, doesn't appeal to them as much. It still appeals to them, right? Because they love it when their YouTubers go Hollywood, for the most part. But they crave that authenticity. They want to know what's real, because as we've discussed before, nothing seems real anymore. You question everything, right? We don't even know if facts matter more than feelings at this point. It's like the reason why they love Keanu Reeves. Like, who would have thought Keanu Reeves would become as big of a cultural icon as he's become? You know what I mean? Yeah, he, they, only, he had a rebirth, too. They prefer Keanu Reeves to Leonardo DiCaprio. Leo is like a myth. Leo is okay to them because he's a good actor, but they don't care for him as a person. If you talk to Zoomers about Leo DiCaprio, they'll be like, ew, isn't he the old guy that dates all those younger women and shit? Like, they all, but they love Keanu Reeves because his girlfriend is like, oh, his fiance, whatever she is, older than him or around his age. They crave realism, but desire escapism. Yeah, because it's like that argument I had on Twitter that one time. You can have a good villain without infringing on human rights. How is he a villain? Yeah, but kind of my point, like right? To bring it all back to the oh, cancel culture, yeah, I was talking it's about like that time on Twitter, Twitter where oh lord, yeah. yeah, it was like that time on Twitter when uh, the Tagashi account was like, I'm sorry for making Hisoka, and like everybody was like, Hisoka's great, and I posted a picture of my tattoo, yeah, and Every, like, so it was like two thirds were like, this is awesome. And then one third was like, uh, this dude needs to get investigated. Where you're saying that's a prime example of Poe's Law. Yeah, exactly. And because this tattoo is honestly, it's got a bunch of different meanings. But it has, yeah, it has your personal meanings to you, but and people are having a visceral reaction to the character of Ahsoka because, and I think the reason why he, the creator apologized for it, he, he, it the was character. It's a tongue in cheek thing. It's because the character is unsettling, right? It, but he's meant to be unsettling. Yes, that's his, that's his purpose. That's his, his whole aesthetic is to get under your skin through your fingernails. Yes. You know what I mean? And, um... I don't... The thing is, he's so goddamn charismatic, it's hard to just not be like... Well, you know, so is Ted Bundy. Yeah. <laughs> but, and that's why I feel like... But I, I see Hisoka as more as just, like, a representation of chaotic neutral. 
I might call him chaotic chaotic. Just pure chaotic? Yes, he's just pure chaos, you know? <laughs> and that's where we... Like, I totally get where people are like, yo, his character is, like, pervy as fuck, son. <laughs> Cause he is. He is. He is definitely aroused by like violence. He's a true sadist. Yes. He's a true sadist in the most unhinged sense. He's a groomer though for sure. Oh yeah, no, that's yeah. Like I like I said, I'm Hisoka is a he's a fucked up character. Yeah. <laughs> but but I feel like no more fucked up than him from the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. You know and what it I mean? was like they were talking off off mic. We're gonna go real quick to Godwood's Law. But people with Sephiroth tattoos or Thanos tattoos. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like assuming that everybody who thinks Thanos is right is. But I did, you know, I'm kind of like shooting myself in the foot here because I did say that people who agree with Thanos are also probably less likely to wear their mask. Uh, if your favorite Joker is the Jared Leto version of the Joker, then you don't wear your mask. Yeah, come on, come on. If your favorite, if people, if somebody's favorite version of the Joker is the Jared Leto version of the Joker, that's the type of person we should run a background check for a gun. Because mm. Jared Leto was never actually in the movie, so how can you really prefer his portrayal of the Joker? By the way, I said that tongue in cheek. By the way. No, he was absolutely serious about that. And I'm absolutely serious about people who like Jared Leto's version of the Joker. How? When you've never seen him act. You've never seen him act the worst. as the Joker. He has, he has, he has one good movie. And it's where he's strung out on heroin. Mm. Requiem for a Dream. Oh, that was him? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that movie holds up. Does it? It's weird. It's a really weird movie. It's one of those movies that I watched and didn't want to watch again because it was such a visceral. It was very unsettling. Yeah. I remember the mom who looked like the uh, the Mad TV character, oh, or whatever the hell her name was. Okay. But she was just like strung out on pills. Uh, yeah. Oh, we haven't even gotten into any of the documents. All right, guys, I think we're going to take a quick break. Hold on, I have a real bad joke for you. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, I did just want to say that uh, the new Fallout, or no, the new Bioshock is going to be played a lot more in the Fallout-style gameplay, which means that it's going to be another game that I can just dump all of my charisma points into, and I'm going to talk my way through the game and name myself Phil A. Buster. We'll be back, guys. Break! No, there's the Picasso quote about that. It's, uh, good artists, good artists innovate, great artists steal. steal. And that's essentially what F. Scott Fitzgerald was saying in The Beautiful and the Damned. What he, a fucking highbrow way to start this second part. <laughs> right, to come right in talking about fucking Picasso and F. Scott Fitzgerald agreeing. Wow, that. we're pretentious. <laughs> Don't you just love how we just go up and down and up and down? By the way, real quick lighthouse update. I actually did just type in Christopher Nolan horn sound, and it was the first thing that popped up. 
I'm mad that you didn't look up the name of the actual composer, though, so we could be extremely highbrow about this. Wow. Pardon me while I put on Requiem Lacrimosa. We can drop that right now, too. That's fair use. Fuck, that's common domain. Yeah, yeah. Hitting y'all off with the classical references. Alright, so let's get some of this new shit out of the way. So, the new stimulus package passed. It was for like 1.7 trillion or something like that. It passed both the House and the Senate? Yep, and it's everybody's gonna get $1,400 check. Well, I mean, it's gonna be like prorated by income. Yeah, so. $1,400 checks and $300 unemployment per week, which is. Uh, less, which is $100 less than we're currently getting for unemployment. However, the stimulus check is going to be the largest one that we have gotten to date. So it's going to be a full 1400 but isn't it for households a combined 80000 I think I was hearing? So if you make a combined 80000 in your household married, then you don't get the 1400 That's when they start cutting it down, right? Yeah, I'm a student. I'm getting that yeah. for you. <laughs> My man said, I'm getting it, so I'm not worried about it. Uh, I mean, y'all with money, that's y'all issues. Yeah, but a combined, I mean, that's, you talk about two people making 40000 a year. Yeah, like, I, I, I feel you on that. Yeah, you know, it's it's a little sketchy, but I, it's something at this point. Um, Biden, I like I said, and I will say again, <laughs> I was not expecting Biden to be no fucking miracle. I was not expecting him to be a godsend. As we said earlier, this is fucking politics as usual. So you know they was fitting to twist this shit some kind of way. I hope they get that money fucking... I still haven't even gotten the last 600 check that was supposed Seriously? to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not playing with you. Why would I play? They playing with the money. Why would I play with the fucking money? I feel real good. Everybody was having the trouble with unemployment. I've had mine set, and I've just had... Like, once I got it working, I haven't had any problems. Yeah, that's wild. That's good, though. Some other stuff. Jay-Z cashes in again. This man is like... Yo, I sent you the fucking article for this because of the, his, like, face. The way he is, like, laughing with them dreads and that fucking salmon suit. It's, <laughs> it's just... He's just like, I got away with the fast one. It's, it's art, yo. I mean, come on. This, this is, like, real American... What the fuck is Tidal even for? It's a streaming service. I know it's that. A, it's a music streaming service. For, is it like, a good one? I... I haven't had it for a long time. I mean, it was the first streaming service to offer like hi-fi audio streaming. So it's also for the longest time the only streaming service you could get Jay-Z on. Exactly. And anything under the Rock Nation like Def Jam, but as he found out that wasn't great for business. So he's like 50th birthday, here's all my music Spotify. <laughs> The same way Taylor, you know, eventually... Unapologetically a white supremacist. I can't... I, see, there there goes me just going right back in, counterproductive on what we were saying earlier. Are you, are we saying Taylor Swift is a white supremacist? Oh, yeah, no, unapologetically so. This is news to me. <laughs> when did that happen? I'll show you a YouTube video on break. Okay. Uh, okay. Taylor Swift is a white supremacist, unapologetically so. Is a white supremacist icon and unapologetically so. So, is she a white supremacist, or is she just a white supremacist icon, and she's like, hey. 
I mean, she definitely has a she has a picture with a dude in a swastika shirt. Oh, are we sure that's not Photoshop? I mean, all right, look, let's. So Jay Z sold title to Square, owned by Jack Dorsey. I believe he still has like, like a thirty three percent share. Our in the favorite barkeep. Yeah. But so, further solidifying his spot as a billionaire. <laughs> Ah, oh, man, you, you love to see it, right? Uh, more billionaires in the world. But, I mean, I'm happy for Jay. It, it's... it's the bill- He's the billionaire where you're like, you know what, we're cool with you. We like you. Goals, yeah. I mean, he seems to be doing decent things with all that money. Him and Beyonce get their philanthropy on. Speaking of all that money, you know one of my hills that I'm going to die on about the U.S. economy that it needs to be based on expensive cardboard. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, we have had a one-of-one one Luka Doncic card that was sold for over... not one, not two, not three, but four million dollars. Four million? That beats the uh, most valuable baseball card of all time. The Honus Wagner card. Yeah. Yep, which is actually number six on this list of things that I wanted to. Today in... Damn, I don't have a title for this one. Today I... in Nostalgia Land? Yeah. <laughs> no, so I found... Because we're Nostalgia talking about... Nostalgia Capitalism. Because we've been talking about rare collectibles and the value of nostalgia here, I actually found a top ten... What do we call it? A top 10 most valuable antiques and collectibles of all times list. And I wanted to run them down to you so I could get your personal reaction. Okay. Is it going to go from 10 to 1 or 1 to 10? I'm going 10 to 1. Okay. So starting at number 10, coming in at $270,000, wooden decoy duck. <laughs> A wooden decoy duck. Yes. Okay. That's weird. I have no idea what that is. So what do we have at number nine? A wooden decoy? You don't know what a wooden decoy duck is? It's for duck hunters. They throw them out in the water to lure other actual ducks out. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. And no, I, I have no idea what that is. The makers of that wooden decoy duck also sold a wooden decoy goose that sold for $246,000. <laughs> and another one for $190,000. $8,000 respectively. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Number nine is a antique doll that sold in 2018 for $333,500. Is it one of those really creepy ones? Yeah, it's it's currently sitting in Barry Art Museum of Norfolk, Virginia. French doll from the Golden Age. It is a symbol of French culture and history, which I guess is why it's sitting inside of a museum. Hidden inside of 24 of the tiny jewels is a micro photograph da, 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 displaying scenes from France. So yeah, no, this little French doll sold for $333,500. Okay, so number eight. I'm waiting for the Black Lotus. Number eight at $498,750 is a Chippendale-style Kentucky desk. 
Okay, this is not an accurate list. No, it is an accurate list. <laughs> this is not an accurate list. Oh, because your magic card's not on no, there? No, yeah, the Black Lotus should have already been on here. Remember, it sold for over $400,000. This is 500000 This is essentially 500000 No, but we had things on there that were like 250 something thousand. I mean, it's an, maybe they're not counting, like, you know, but they do have baseball cards on here, and number seven is the Dracula movie poster. The original Dracula movie poster that sold for five hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Eight five hundred twenty-five eight hundred thousand dollars. Holy shit! Holy shit! And that was the second time it sold. The movie poster originally sold for four hundred seventy-eight thousand dollars. Man, well that person made it come up. Number six was the Honus Wagner baseball card. Yeah. Which I guess was just beat today by what? Luka Doncic. The Luka Doncic. Robbie the robot from um lost in space damn i don't know why i couldn't remember <laughs> it was that oh the danger will robinson yeah. yeah that one yeah that robot sold for 5.375 million dollars five point what five point three hundred seventy five million dollars wow holy shit okay shattering its previous shattering the previous record for a non-automotive movie prop formerly held by the Maltese Falcon that sold for $4 million in 2013. Number four. So we're getting into the top five now. Okay. Yeah, so number four is Elizabeth Taylor's La Peregrina Peregrina Take two. Mm. Take two. Elizabeth Taylor's La Peregrina Ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> A fancy necklace by Cartier <laughs> that belonged to Elizabeth Taylor sold for $11,842,500. Does that really count as a collectible? I mean, it's as much of a collectible as a guitar previously owned by fucking Elvis Presley would be. I guess. It's Elizabeth Taylor. She was known for opulence and luxury. And yeah, shit. but I wouldn't think of those as collectibles. I think of those more as like memorabilia. So what is? All right, now we're splitting hairs. <laughs> what is memorabilia if not a collectible, sir? It's. I think you're just upset like that the Black Lotus didn't come. So if a guitar pick that was owned by Kurt Cobain sold at an auction, is it a collectible or is it memorabilia? Memorabilia. If you collect guitar picks, though, is that not a collectible now? No, it's still memorabilia. You just happen to have a collection of memorabilia. So does that not make that memorabilia collectibles? I mean, they are, but they are memorabilia, <laughs> not inherently collectibles. I mean, this list did say antiques and collectibles. Okay, well, what's after Elizabeth Taylor's necklace? <laughs> A Patek Philippe Super Complication Pocket Watch. Get the fuck out of here. What's after that? $24 million. Jesus Christ. All right. Anyway, yo, continue. What yo, I'm just saying. Like, Keep going. $24 million for a pocket watch. I would say it better be made out of solid gold, but that's still not enough. Record-breaking Persian rug. You want to know how much this rug sold for? Is it in the nine digits? Pre-auction estimates were set to five to seven million dollars. 
Do you want to know how much the rug actually sold for? $57 million. $33.76 million. Eh. Wow. For a rug. That's ridiculous. <laughs> how big was the rug, at least? <laughs> it doesn't say. <laughs> I mean, Persian rugs are pretty big, though. They take up, like, whole rooms and shit. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, ooh, do you want to know what... So, are you ready for number one? Sure. I'm going to be disappointed. I know I am. <laughs> I'm geeked out about this because you're not going to believe this. I'm going to be mad, aren't I? It's only 5.12 inches. Do you want to know how much it sold for first, or do you want to know how much? How much did it sell for? $37.68 million. Alright, let me see if I can 20 questions this. Huh. Is it a movie prop? No. Um, is it made of wood? No. Nope. Nope. Is it made of metal? Mm-mm. Mm. So it's probably made out of plastic or glass. Yeah, I, I, I want to give you close, but okay. Um, do you want to keep guessing or do you want me to just give it to you? Mm, give me a hint. It's an antique. I don't know why, but I'm thinking of like a flute for some reason. I know that's Ooh, not it. No, you're so off. You're so off. All right, what is it? Coming in at number one is an antique Rougagneau brush washer bowl. A little green porcelain bowl measuring in at 5.125 inches used for washing small brushes. Sold, it is a glazed blue green with an ice crackle. <laughs> I am selling I, for $37.68 million. <laughs> what the fuck? Beating the previous record held by the chicken cup set in 2014. I don't even know what the chicken cup is. It's probably a video game system that also warms your chicken. <laughs> He's so upset. <laughs> I knew. I'm tilted. <laughs> I'm tilted. I challenge you to find better and more expensive antiques than that, sir. I hate you. Uh, you guys let us know what you think. <laughs> were those? Were you guys just as more? Apparently, the economy needs to be based on little green bowls. <laughs> little green porcelain bowls. I mean. If you're a cannabis connoisseur, it might already be, but... <laughs> Alright, fine, I have two title shifts for you. <laughs> and then we'll take a quick break. <laughs> uh... Ryan Reynolds and Dane Cook. Mm. Think Dane Cook in Deadpool. I'm just trying to imagine Dane Cook with Blake Lively now. <laughs> and I'm not as pleased. <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel like Dane Cook could carry Deadpool as well as Ryan Reynolds. Has. No, absolutely not. 
It would also just be Deadpool screaming a lot more. <laughs> okay, what's the next one? So I asked you which half of this no I'm 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 gonna do I'm gonna do with this one. So Christopher Reeves Okay as Superman Okay so and Christopher Walken In what role of Christopher Walken specifically? I don't really care. I just want Christopher Walken mainly as Superman. Wasn't he in a Superman movie? I don't know. Maybe? Hold on. Christopher Walken doesn't get enough appreciation. One of the greatest villains of all time. Everything he's in. Which one? Which one which which one are you thinking specifically? True romance. Oh. That scene at the table between him and um that other old white actor. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dignify you with trying to name them. <laughs> Dennis Hopper. I wouldn't have even gotten to Dennis Hopper. <laughs> uh I would have said Burt Reynolds before that. Oh, damn. Damn, nobody talk about Burt anymore. <laughs> Should we be talking about Burt Reynolds? I feel like I don't want to get into that territory because nope. we'll end up getting canceled for bringing up Burt Reynolds. Or we'll end up getting Burt Reynolds canceled the same way. Well, Burt Reynolds is dead, so I don't know if he cares. Damn. Can we... Are we canceling It's people? like Bill Burr said in his monologue. They're trying to cancel John Wayne. That's what I was Did say. you see what he said in Playboy in 1970? <laughs> yeah, I can. Uh, as we will get into a little bit later. <laughs> can we cancel somebody posthumously? Posthumously? I don't know. We can apparently give them Academy Awards and Grammys posthumously, though. Ooh, so is that argument that we can also cancel <laughs> Swing. Speaking of canceling, I think it's about time uh, the fossil fuel industry own up to its misdoings. And apparently so does the court system because they have been ordered to pay a $14.25 million penalty in a landmark pollutions case. So, I mean, honestly, this is really like a drop in the bucket for them. It's like small beans. But Especially since we're talking with things billions and trillions of dollars lately. I think, you know, it's a... I don't know, maybe calling this a good start is even a little bit off. Because who knows what that money will go to if it'll actually go to the avenues that it should to off-place some of the effects of the carbon and climate output that we have now. But I did think it was worth mentioning that that case is finally concluded and that, you know, the number has landed on 14.25 million. So I guess we have another good news that we can talk about. The uh, George Floyd Act was passed in Congress, which is going to outlaw chokeholds, outlaw That's, racial profile or outlaws right. racial profiling and overhauls qualified immunity for police officers. Good. And I heard that it will also uh, open up funds to investigate and um, catalog police shootings a bit more. So, 
steps, small incremental steps in the right direction. But that's what everybody said we were going to get. It's like JRS says. It's like, it's about field position. That's fair, I guess. He's like. It's a good way to look at it, you know. It's like getting field position. Yeah. And from here, you know, but the argument is being had lately that the steps that the Biden administration have been taking so far are turning off a lot of the voters who lean towards him begrudgingly in the primary, you know, and um, people are already kind of playing the tragedy violin for 2024 saying that he's gonna lose the left and you know in the next two years when it's time to re-elect you know these senate seats and stuff people are worried about that as well hopefully there's one less senate seat we're gonna have to worry about (laughs) like what you did there (laughs) with mitch mcconnell not even potentially finishing his term yeah, I that one caught me off guard. I wonder what... It, it kind of reminds me when Paul Ryan was just like, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. well, that one, you know, Paul got out <laughs> at the right Paul time. Paul got out at the right time. <laughs> and they could pass that fucked up tax bill that, here's your reminder, guys. Your taxes are going to go up this year. Just a fair reminder. And you can thank Paul Ryan for that. You can thank Donald Trump for that. You can thank Mitch McConnell for that. Bitch McConnell. <laughs> makes me wonder if he's getting out because he sees the quote-unquote blue wave coming or if he knows that this shit is about to get ugly and he's like i'm too old for this shit (laughs) i'm just gonna retreat into my turtle shell yeah i mean we never thought mcconnell was a stand-up person (laughs) but eddie murphy is standing up again look at you Look at you on a roll with your transitions today. Boy, you better go ahead. Boy, you better go ahead. Nah, yeah, you know, Kevin Hart had him on his um, podcast. Eddie let it out there that his whole plan was to do Dolomite, which was really good. I don't know if you had seen that or not. Yeah, Dolomite is my name. Yeah, no, it's definitely worth looking while you getting into... Golemite is my name is definitely worth a watch. Um, then he was going to do Saturday Night Live, which he did. Then they were going to release Coming to America. And then he said after Coming to America, he had planned to do stand-up again. And then COVID happened. So as we're thanking COVID for things, we could thank COVID. You know, I'm glad that... Tangent. <laughs> I'm glad that we're not saying... We're not blaming Obama for everything anymore. Remember how every time something fucked thanks up Thanks, Obama. Yeah, now it's thanks, COVID. <laughs> so, there's that. And so we can thank COVID for two things. <laughs> Fucking up Eddie Murphy's new stand-up, which everybody has been waiting for. Getting rid of thanks, Obama. Thanks, John Lewis. It's the 50th anniversary of the Selma Crossing. I'm very conflicted about you being the one to bring that up. And not me leading with it. <laughs> but let's not make this about me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me have my ally moment, man. This is about, no, see, we're not making this about you either. This is about the movement. <laughs> in the progression In the progression of cultural advancement. And, you know, 
here we are. Yeah, equality. With the first female black president. Vice and president. Vice president, my bad. I meant to say that, but I was also Shadow thinking president. that, you know, Kamala Harris is also interracial, so, or yeah. biracial, biracial. Um, so, but that's splitting hairs. <laughs> because it's advancement and it is progress. And but as we were talking about, you know, Biden and the incremental steps and changes that he's making, and if they are enough, we have to remember that it took a bunch of small incremental steps and changes for us to get here. So whereas people are getting fatigued and wondering and worrying about what the next four years will look like, I I, I do implore you guys to, you know, just kind of stay vigilant. I know it's tiring and everything, but fighting for a better future was never going to be easy. Um, I know we're not doing a lot here by sitting and recording a podcast, but where you see you can make little changes, make little changes. You where know? you can use your little voice, use it. Stop and listen to people a little bit longer. Judge a little bit less. Help. You know, for maybe like an hour and a half every Saturday. Yeah. You know, small incremental changes will make the world a better place in the long run. And our statistics. So... <laughs> What are you doing in six years? What 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 is this? Some motivational? <laughs> is this a Tony Robbins exercise? No, there's a space hotel opening in 2027. Ah, ah, space hotel with custom space travel built by Disney Imagineers. Like, well, A X Disney Imagineer. So if you don't know, Disney, and X and X and don't don't critique my grammar <laughs> you grammar nazi <laughs> wow that was a quick step to godwin's law <laughs> but yeah no uh, apparently an ex-disney imagineer is joining with virgin uh in a what what, what is the the virgin galactic or no it's not virgin galactic <laughs> what is the virgin company called the company of the virgin i have no idea i know richard branson owns it <laughs> oh it is virgin galactic damn <laughs> so i was right yeah so john road who retired from uh walt disney corporation in january after four decades as an imagineer has joined virgin galactic as a ventures first experience architect he will be uh the company founded by richard branson will be building commercialized space travel. Its sister company, Virgin Orbit, has gained attention for pledging to send the first commercial small satellite mission into Mars, to Mars, excuse me, a planet back in news of late as I'm reading from a Deadline article, by the way. Road oversaw major Disney Park projects like Pandora, The World of the Avatar, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Disney's California Adventure. So this dude has, you know, a decent background in working with building immersive experiences. So not only will the, you know, ride to the Space Hotel be lit, but if you're daydreaming of future travels while stuck at home during the pandemic, says a CNN travel article, why fantasize about beaches or of Bali or the canals of Venice when vacationing in space could be in your future? It's 
2027. Back in 2019, a California company, uh, the Gateway Foundation, released plans for a cruise ship style hotel that could one day float above the Earth's atmosphere. Then called Von Braun Station. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't like that. I don't know. That's wild. <laughs> the futuristic concept compromised, um, comprised of 24 modules connected by elevator shafts that make up a rotating wheel orbiting the Earth was scheduled to be fully operational by 2027. Voyager Station, set to be built by Orbital Assembly Corporation. Wow, wow. Uh, <laughs> Orbital Assembly, that sounds like something you would hear. <laughs> that totally sounds like something you would hear in like a Marvel or like a Star Trek kind of shit. Like, yo, it's, the future is now. <laughs> With high expectations, human beings leave Earth to begin a new life in space colonies. However, the United Earth Sphere Alliance gains great military power and soon seizes control of one colony after another in the name of justice and peace. In a move to counter the Alliance's tyranny, rebel citizens of certain colonies plan to bring new arsenals to Earth, disguising them as shooting stars. It's the opening to Gun and Wayne. They said the uh, hotel is designed to have a Space Odyssey 2001 aesthetic directly inspired from Stanley Kubrick. Guests might be in space, but they can still enjoy beds and showers, warm suites, chic bars, and restaurants. With no gravity. I think because it's rotating, they will have like a sense of gravity, though. Because it's a wheel, it'll be spinning all the time, so it'll develop a gravitational field yo i look they've already got space rides like you know things but you gotta be like super stupid rich and i don't think they've been you know uh operational as of like the covid day and age but yeah while people are sitting at home and able to like plan and really like imagine <laughs> And when we come out of this COVID shit, we might actually jump straight into, like, the future so, <laughs> that we all imagined. I mean, some people are jumping out of the COVID shit a little early. Yeah. Texas <laughs> is going full out Darwinism. No masks, no capacity limit. Go. Texas said, hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> if it dies, it dies. <laughs> Niggas get sick every day, B. <laughs> I'm just... It's wild to me, right? Because they... Joe Rogan's out here like, Yeah, I finally get to go hit deer again. Yo. I needed to make some more deer jerky. Yo, it's wild to me because they really jumped right out of that fucking snowstorm, like, emergency and was straight up like, You know what? Fucking, let's kill more people. <laughs> yup. <laughs> let's, let's call the fucking population some more. Let's get rid of the pores so we can all enjoy a sense of normalcy again. Yeah, it's right? 40, it's 48 states and well, 47 states and then Alabama, Florida, and Texas. And Texas don't even, it's not fair to the people of Texas, right? Because let's not forget that Texas right now is a purple state. Yeah. Let's be real about that. And it's leaning blue. Like, the people of Texas did not ask for this, yo. I'm... 
telling you rich people are going fucking ham, son. And a lot of y'all are probably just like, oh, you work paycheck to paycheck. You would understand if you had money. And I'm like, eh, I don't know, yo. What is it to live as a rich man in a poor world, yo? Do I really want... Th- that's dystopian as shit. I don't want that future. That's not the future that we're supposed to have, guys. Remember? <laughs> y'all are leaning towards oligarchic police state. I'm not here for it. <laughs> this Texas shit is off the fucking chain, son. Like, Texas, get your shit together. Texas government get its shit together. They're really, like, setting up for... Why did Beta O'Rourke have to become a meme? <laughs> They're setting up for, like, Mad Max meets, like, a uh, minority report, and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. We're not ready! Hey, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Break! So, let's get into the topic we've been dancing around all episode. This week, um, Rebecca Keegan, a reporter for the... A journalist working for The Hollywood Reporter, published an article um, I found rather interesting. Racist, sexist dot 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 classic how hollywood is dealing with its problematic content and i sent you the article because in it they were discussing how streaming services like hbo max uh disney plus and you know possibly paramount plus and netflix are dealing with some of its older more problematic content Kind of like that episode of The Muppet Show where Johnny Cash sings a duet with Miss Piggy in front of a Confederate flag. Yes, or kind of like how, you know, in Tropic Thunder when Robert Downey Jr. is wearing blackface and they say retard a lot. Yeah. Or just Gone with the Wind in as general, a movie. Or A Song of the South as a movie. You know, um, instead of removing a lot of the content, though, they have taken with this idea of what she referred to as kind of like a surgeon general's warning of placing content warnings in front of these programs the same way we have like the tv rating system like you know tv ma this may feature strong language violent sexual content well now they're getting these content warnings where it's like this features harmful and depicting harmful and dangerous images of stereotypes that are no longer relevant it's like like the it's like the old adage you know those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. it yes to erase these things from existence is not a good idea and i believe that is what um disney's head content moderator i think is what they said he was that's what he essentially said was they don't want to remove these things because as you said a history uh people that don't know their history are bound to repeat it so instead of removing them they're placing these content warnings in front of yeah like tcm host ben uh menkowitz said Nobody's canceling these movies, but to pretend that the racism in it is not painful and acute? No, I do not want to shy away from that. This was inevitable and welcome and overdue. And TCM is doing their part by uh, producing a new show called, uh, what is it, Movies in the Rear View? Yeah, Classic Films in the Rear View, Reframed, which will take a look at a lot of these movies from a different time period and examine their cultural relevancy, kind of how we do here with The Flood. Um, And 
examine them through the lens of now, looking back and examining why this was wrong and how it was harmful. Like, like the movie Gone with the Wind, when adjusted for inflation, is still the highest grossest movie of all, all time. time. But it, the movie in itself, doesn't hold up at all. Like it is. In my opinion, it's a fucking terrible movie. Yes, it's got some classic lines in it, you know. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And it looks pretty, but so does Avatar. (laughs) The Last Airbender. Or not The Last Airbender, my bad. Avatar (laughs) The Last Airbender, the cartoon? That was a a classically terrible movie adaptation. They didn't make an Avatar movie. Mm, uh Uh-huh. Uh huh. Don't know yeah. what you're talking about. No, I was actually talking about the James Cameron Avatar. Anyway, I'm right? sure. <laughs> but that's kind of my point when I say things like cancel culture doesn't exist, though, right? Like cancel culture, as we were talking about, to bring it into the. Can you believe what they said in Gone with the Wind in 1939? Yeah. To bring it yeah, into the spectrum of our discussions we've been having lately, though, the theme of social responsibility moving forward with this new social morality, I feel like this is a perfect middle ground. And it's kind of what we did with the the statues of the slave masters and the Confederate soldiers, right? Which, in context, came up almost like hundreds of years after these events happened. Yeah. The statues aren't even really historically relevant to begin with, but a lot of places opted for, instead of just destroying the statues altogether, they removed them and put them in museums where they can still be observed and critiqued. It's like the host of the show reframed, and I found this particularly interesting because as a black person, I feel like we often do have to deal with juggling the pleasures of enjoying mainstream media while also critiquing the problematic aspects of that. Any marginalized person has to do that when they are viewing something quote-unquote mainstream. You know what I mean? And as a white person, you should also try to look at it from the other person's perspective. But, like, you know, you find yourself doing To the that best of your ability. Kind of shit. I find myself doing that kind of thing all the time. Like, I told you this week, I've been reading uh, Beautiful in the Dam by F. Scott Fitzgerald, and me being the self-proclaimed socialist, it I find it really... Me, personally, I find it really odd that I enjoy F. Scott Fitzgerald's writing, which completely romanticizes <laughs> capitalism and the American aristocracy, <laughs> right? Like, that's... The theme of, like, all of his books are, like, fucking luxury and rich people in opulence. <laughs> the one thing that I thought was a but little kind of scary about this, this article was the whole studios having AI scan scripts for racial slurs and things like that. I, I mean, I feel like that's just streamlining work. I don't necessarily find that entirely too bothersome because the overall objective here seems to, once again, not be to remove the content from the discussion, but to promote the discussion, <laughs> which is what we're seeking to do, right? Like, when you want to know why these images may be harmful instead of reacting you you know ask your black friend ask your gay friend ask your wife why is this image why is it so bad that you know the 
the damsel in distress trope, why is that harmful? You know, ask these questions. And these are the kinds of questions now that more than ever, I feel like we need the discussions, I should say, rather than questions are that we need to be having instead of jumping so quickly to cancel something or to want to defend something because it holds a safe place for you in your little nostalgia bubble. Mm -hmm. Like, why should we cancel Eminem? I love Eminem. He made me feel like it was okay for me to listen to rap music. <laughs> like, but ask yourself, like, is this shit that Eminem says okay? Like, I mean, Eminem himself has said he's not a role model. Like, no, but he's a criminal. <laughs> yeah, I'm a criminal. Thorough examination of the content. My words are like a dagger with a jagged edge. Just stab you in the head. Whether you're a well, we had a problematic lyric already. Yeah, but like I'm saying, you know. But it gets into that because this is the battle we've been having with. Everything is fucking subjective. Like, you can even take it back to the creation of, like, hip-hop or, like, rock and roll, right? Like, the edgy, like, in-your-face attitude they felt was really disruptive to the social norm. And lots of sex. <laughs> lots of sex. But yeah, mama, like the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. <laughs> but that's also fucking American culture, too. That's the fucking... Led Zeppelin was British. But the Brits in the semantics. Europe, I yeah, know. I was gonna say they're, but they're also not as concerned with sex over there as we are. That like, is true. You know, they're more like about like. For one of my other college classes, I am doing a study in global television, and we got to watch the first five minutes of the American and the British version of Skins. In the first episode of the American version, his quilt is like butterflies and stuff. Yeah. In the British version, it's the torso of a naked man and a naked woman <laughs> see americans can't handle like see watching those five minutes of because this is one of the main things it's like being able to take a show and just move it yeah, america's top next title doesn't translate across the pond or whatever you yeah know, across the so cultural spectrum they localized the skins version like there were small things that we know to the area that it was reached. Yeah, it was like the British version. He just like he wakes up and he just starts doing push-ups. The American version, he starts throwing like he starts throwing air punches and shit like that. Uh, so they made it. Ah, uh, okay. I mean, but I mean, like they they adapted it for the audience for the American culture. And American yes. culture has always been sexually repressed. That's why teen sex movies were. And uh, I was raised Catholic. <laughs> fucking thing, but. That's, I mean, yeah, let's not get into the historical relevancy of that statement. Yeah. <laughs> As we're talking about sexual rep like repression. But that's like I was talking about earlier. The Zoomers are entirely okay with pushing like the gender spectrum and like sexual normative like boundaries and stuff like that and the uh, roles of the sexes, traditional roles and values of the sexes. But they don't like objectification and like the belittling and the dismantling of things you know they're all about building each other up mentally and spiritually and they're not about the over glamorizing of material things you know what i mean yeah for the most part <laughs> and i mean like that's good like building each other up and everything while self-deprecating and yeah. daring it when it comes to 
canceling things. They are quick to want to just completely overcorrect, as we were talking about. Yeah. And completely erase something out of the cultural zeitgeist or the cultural um, halls of antiquity when it's not that simple because then we do stand to repeat things like we got away from the discussion about fascism and white supremacy and that's how we ended up with Charlottesville and the Unite the Right rally and fucking Gamergate and all of that shit. That's how we're back to, you know, the George Floyd protest and all that stuff because America did come out of like World War II feeling like we could just kind of leave like the Jim Crow South and all of that shit back in the past where it was. That is the approach that we took. You know, and then we got into the 50s and we kind of did the same thing again with like Martin Luther King and all of that. And then Vietnam happened and it was a distraction. And we came back from Vietnam and everybody was exhausted by the time that was. You're talking about reconstruction into the Republican Depression, into World War II, right after the roaring, you know, or yeah, so Reconstruction, Roaring Twenties, Republican Depression, Prohibition. Prohibition, World War II, the Civil Rights Era, Vietnam. That explains how when we get to the 80s, Reagan, everybody just wants to escape into materialism and capitalism, right? That explains how the consumer culture is born. Because everybody is exhausted and we just want to find something that'll make us forget about all of the stress of fighting for equality because a lot of other things happened in that time too you know that's when we got the 40 hour work week that's when we got child protection laws and shit like that like there was a lot of reform that happened in that brief almost like yeah in 100 year and i feels wild to call 100 years brief but at this point in time it's been about 100 years since all of that shit happened and all of that shit happened over the span of 100 years but it's still none of those I things. I mean, Chappelle said in his stand-up, it's like his great-grandfather was a slave when he was born. Exactly. None of those things have been tied up, right? They've all just kind of been knotted together. And we called that tied up. But now the knot is coming apart. And each little strand is now presenting its own problem. And here we are trying to figure out if there is... A- what degree of correction versus overcorrection we have to do with these pieces of media. Because, as we said, as we've established, media is the fourth wing of the government. Yeah. (laughs) And it has been used as a propaganda tool, as we discussed last week, to push a lot of these narratives through to normalization. Doing what this TCM show and what Disney and all these other streaming services are doing by putting these content warnings in front of things, I think will allow for further critical analysis instead of demonization and running away from the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, as we continue to dig up these issues that go unresolved in this country and look for resolution, I think it's best to not jump so quickly into cancelization of these things before we critically analyze what is wrong. I was just saying earlier that Zoomers like to go back and look at older media and like cherry pick (laughs) things to carry on with and 
I think it'd be fair to analyze things a little bit more than what we're doing. And it's hard because we are going through this pandemic and everybody is tired and stressed out. But no, you know, nobody said change was going to be easy. That's, I feel like, what happened with fucking Barack, right? Barack got elected and we went, okay, we did our job, <laughs> patted ourselves on the back. We got a black president and racism solved. Yeah. And then for eight years later, here we are. Trumple Stiltskin. So, Toupee fiasco. As we move forward here, you know, I think we examining these pieces of media is better than canceling. I think analyzing the lyrics of Eminem, even though there's not much substance. And, you know, that's what you come to when you realize... Depends on the M song, yeah. but... But a lot of the songs that they're in outrage about, there's not really much substance to. So, it, yeah, you know, take the... I feel like also when you cancel something, you give it more gas than what it deserves, you know what I mean? Because then people who are in defense of the thing you're canceling feel emboldened to, you know, be just as loud as the people, if not louder than the people trying to cancel that thing that they find, you know, uh, some kind of security when instead if we went oh you know what uh, that Eminem song saying cancel Eminem is a lot more dramatic but doesn't carry as much weight as going yeah maybe we don't talk about Eminem as much because a lot of his songs don't hold that kind of, that much substance like his technical skill is there for sure yeah but I mean he talks about beating his wife a lot like why would you yeah do? for every one serious song Eminem has he has five joke songs exactly and you know but that and as we've said, he is he's in the high court of hip-hop. He's just the court judge. But that puts Eminem in proper perspective. Like, yeah. you know, put it let's put instead of canceling things, let's put them in their proper perspective. Yeah. Christopher Columbus is only relevant because he led the first major exploration of Spain into the Americas. Other yeah. than that, the dude is a shitbird. He's not somebody who should have his own fucking holiday. That's Absolutely. I'm sure. And I think, you know, that's a fair point to him. And Baltimore said he doesn't need a statue either. <laughs> Yo, a lot of people who have statues don't need them. Like we were discussing earlier. Like, you know, give people their roses while they're here, but don't over-fucking do it. We don't need to idolize Jordan any fucking more than we do. You know what I mean? Like, yes, Michael Jordan, great basketball icon cultural relevancy peaked in the fucking late 90s, early 2000s. Um, other than that, there are tons of other dudes who have probably, who have put up more numbers than Jordan at this point. His skill has been matched. Don't tell Twitter that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'm gonna get the I heat. mean, Bron, Bron on his longevity has Jordan's numbers beat. Like, just career numbers. Steph Curry. I, he's, not near, he's not near Jordan yet. Point average brings like I mean Jordan has six. Yeah. How many does Steph how many does Golden State have? Three. Three. Steph ain't done yet. Neither Braun. That's my point. And I mean Braun is already that's you just said Braun is up there. Braun's gonna end up with like he's gonna end up in like the top ten assists, the all time points leader. And that run that Golden State had is going to go down in history too. Oh yeah. That's my point. <laughs> like it's it's Bulls-worthy storytelling. Okay, to bring it all back, I think the one example that really popped in my head when it comes to dealing with the problematic nature of a piece of media is 
the Cosby show. Mm, and this kind of gets into what I was leaning in with the Jordan discussion is do these things, I think with proper examination and putting them into their field of perspective will allow us to determine what really holds up and what doesn't. Aren't there just things like, you know, it's that shit when you fantasize about a show you haven't seen in a really long time and now we're able with streaming services like Netflix to be able to go back and watch some of these shits and be like, oh, this isn't as funny as I thought it was. Nope. (laughs) And when we go back and we analyze Breakfast at Tiffany's, was it as groundbreaking of a cultural piece of media as we were told it was? When the hell did that movie come out? Breakfast at Tiffany's? Yeah. Oh, God. Damn, 1961, I was so off. Really allowing discussions around these topics will also allow us to determine what we carry on moving forward. Yeah. You know, it's like, remember how big Elvis was? I talk about this shit all the time because it's funny to me. (laughs) Remember how big Elvis was when we were growing up? There were fucking yeah. Elvis impersonators everywhere. Yeah. There was always a caricature of Elvis. I totally want to see the band Elvana. There's even fucking like mock spinoff bands based around Elvis's aesthetic. Yeah, Elvana. It's a Nirvana cover band with an Elvis impersonator singer. Yeah. Do you see that shit anymore? No, not really. No. He's completely faded out of cultural relevancy because when you sit back and you analyze what exactly Elvis was. He was a cover artist <laughs> impersonating Chuck Berry. <laughs> yeah. Who couldn't even play the guitar and was a pedophile. Yeah. So should we really consider him the king of rock and roll? The other contenders, a lot of them are dead. At you know. 27. And there are people who will make the argument that the way we kind of idolize like Jay-Z is wrong because the nigga started out as a crack dealer who, you know, shot his brother and stabbed record producers and stuff like that. Like, you know, but that's why I say keeping everything in its perspective. There's alleged rumors out there that Martin Luther King was a serial adulterer. Like, but does that make... I have a dream speech any less impactful? Does it make what he did for the movement any less impactful? This is Dave's point when we talk about Bill Cosby and the Cosby show. There's rumors out there that Bill Cosby paid for the speakers, the podium that Martin Luther King gave that speech from. It cannot, I've said this before, that it cannot be understated or overstated that Bill's role in Hollywood opened the doors for black entertainers. Should we idolize Bill Cosby? No. But we cannot understate the importance of what Bill Cosby meant for black actors and black entertainment. That's true. And that is the weird gray area that black people sit in when it comes to things like Bill Cosby. Not necessarily R. Kelly. There are plenty of people that think R. Kelly is just a shit person. You know, I Believe I Can Fly is a great song. (laughs) But that does not change the fact that it was written by a shit person. Edgar Allan Poe wrote some great poetry and, you know, developed an aesthetic that carries to this day. But he also may have been 
you know, somewhat of a pedophile. And a Phil Spector <laughs> was super influential in creating the wall of sound that, you know, helped evolve pop music. Also killed two people. From here moving forward, I think it's important to remember, and it would do us all a favor to remember, that people contain multitudes. And nobody is as cut and dry as the marketing and the branding make them out to be. Mm-hmm. You know, Jordan aesthetic would have us all believe that Jordan is the god of sports. <laughs> like, but. And yet, Brady has seven rings. And also, you know, votes for Trump and kisses his son in the mouth. Whatever. Dude has seven rings. So that means you can kiss your son in the mouth? Look, I'm not one to, I'm not here to tell about Olivia's life. Thanos had five and he wiped, you know, half of existence out of existence. So does that mean Tom can do this? He had, he had six so he had six infinity stones. Oh yeah, that's right, because I forgot about the one. The soul stone. But yeah, the middle. So that's one less than Tom, but does that mean Tom gets the two? What do you have to give up? Everything. Man, that nigga Tom looks soulless. <laughs> Are you just saying that because he's rich? Maybe, <laughs> but did he have to sell his soul to get that rich? Did you ever think that you would be this rich? Maybe Zuck did. Did you ever think that you would have these hits? No, Mark Zuckerberg never had a soul. <laughs> um, he looks. Mark Zuckerberg looks like dolls you would have seen on the It's a Small World ride. It's going to be interesting to see what media looks like moving forward. Because with the fluctuation in the cultural shift right now, we're getting all kinds of weird amalgamations of things. I mean, look at Lil Nas X, look at Billie Eilish. We've got WandaVision, which is a... With a Sitcom, it's real. It's a comic book show based around superheroes that told the story of a woman's grief yeah. and a woman's return to power and agency. Yeah. Told through the eyes of a superhero. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... Vision. Vishon. Vishon. Vishon is his name, sir. And you will put some respect on Vishon's name. <laughs> Paul Bettany is the fucking man. <laughs> I totally no. did not watch WandaVision, so next week we'll have the uh, a real, wrap-up. Uh, yeah, a real wrap-up on it. But goddamn, man, that last episode. But, you know, we've got pieces of media like that developing. We've got Stranger Things, which takes the, you know, whole 80s uh, consumerism aesthetic and plays on that whole safe nostalgia space thing. And we've got shows like... Jenny and Georgia. <laughs> but I think the whole really, point here is it is important you to haven't acknowledge seen the past, try to correct the past, but do not shy away from it and do not try to hide it. No, because it all plays into what our future looks like. Like Jenny and Georgia. <laughs> As with WandaVision dealing with grief, it is within the tragedy that we are able to find the new beauty and appreciate and be grateful for the things that we do have now. You know, the ability to make these incremental steps as we all push Biden to do better and build back better, as he promises. As we 
put these content warnings in front of these programs instead of removing them from the cultural zeitgeist. It is also important to be responsible and analytical and self-aware of what it is we are asking for. You know, when you need some historical context and modern perspective on things from people who don't talk about the weather. <laughs> Somebody to throw you a life raft while you caught up in this flood, cause... Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. None of this is normal. normal. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. Be safe. Deuces! Look, it's a flood! It's a flood. It's flooding! Get away! Quick, we need to get to higher ground. Open the floodgates. It is time to talk about it.